Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Christy, I missed you. I know. I've missed you too. We took a spring break. We t- <laughs> it, I don't know when the last time I talked to you was, but it feels like it was like three years ago. I was in Canada for our women's summit. And then we basically booking things and both of us had conferences. So it was crazy. It was super crazy. Um, um, and I don't, it's going to be another, it's uh, April's going to be nuts. May's going to be nuts. June's going to be nuts. July's going to be nuts. I don't even want to think about that. But I get to see you in real life in like two weeks. In like two weeks. It'll actually, I'm flying. So the day the podcast comes out, I'll be flying to um, Emporia. I'm not going to Emporia. Be the day, are in you going to be on a week early? We're coming the Tuesday before. Okay, cool. And the event starts Thursday night. So it's not, and it takes all day to it's, get to Bentonville. Right. So really, we only have Wednesday and Thursday to prep. That kind of wait. made me. Pa- I just had a little tiny panic attack. But wait, no, you're you're jumped ahead, right? No. So this will come out Tuesday, and then we'll fly the next Tuesday. Oh, got it. Okay, thank God. I thought you were saying you're flying the day this comes out. No, no, no. And I was like, wait a second, that's not right. Okay. <laughs> Woof. You had a little baby panic attack give me too. A baby huh? panic attack too. You 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 made me give up a week that I valuably need. Uh, sweet. So I am very honored that I am with a gravel oh bike hall of favor. You're a dork. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is well feeling- deserved. <laughs> Don't, don't talk at all. It's well-deserved. Thank you. Actually, I did a nomination, which I was supposed to ask you about, but I didn't. I you did Yes. But I don't care because I was like, I'm just going to tell Christy. Sorry, yeah. gravel bike, hall of fame people. <laughs> I didn't have time to ask you. And <laughs> <laughs> because you never I, talked to me. What? <laughs> I, of course, was doing it the night it was due. Uh, and I did okay. say, like, you can't have a gravel bike hall of fame without Christy Moon. Uh, that was my argument. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, 
it's uh, it's very humbling. I'm very honored. I'm I'm very. I mean, I I always look at it. I think it's a it's a group win, right? It's because you know women have showed up to uh, to yeah, start. But somebody a, had to give women more opportunities I, to show up, and I, you did I, that. I agree, but it's you know that that part was the small part, and now it's like we have a whole community of us that are out there doing rad stuff for women and getting more women out there and making the space more inclusive, more welcoming, all of, all of the things that we want to see in gravel. So, um, I was talking to Amy Ross at Sea Otter, um, this last week. And I just was like, I think we're, I think we're changing shit. It feels, it feels like the momentum is sticking. So let's, I, I'm so excited that for the last two big events that Betsy Welch has been covering, like yeah. the headline has been uh, like the woman won, not mm-hmm. the woman won the women's race, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's a, and like that article has been the lead, which I, I really appreciate that she's been putting that out there. So, well, uh, and it was, I mean, we kicked off the Grand, Lifetime Grand Prix. Saturday. Yeah, I want the inside scoop on that. How was it? It was, it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome to be at that start line and seeing the women getting the same, the same, same recognition, the same excitement. Um, you know, we're, it's really, really cool. And I appreciate every single one of those women that's towing those start lines because they're just, I think in that effort, they're raising awareness of women cycling in and for girls in the USA. And I mean, you know, you've got Leah Davison and her little Bella's kit telling an awesome story and no, no slight to the men. I, I, I literally mean no slight to the men, but when Ellen Noble was talking to the women at the start and she did a great job, you know, we had Janelle Holcomb, Janelle Spilker, Janelle, formerly Holcomb and Ellen Noble calling the races along with Frankie Andreas. We had two women and one man, uh, one man up there, like doing the talking and stuff. And, um, Ellen talked to the men. And then when she talked to the women, those stories that we are getting that you and I have experienced doing this girls gone gravels interviews with so many of these women, it's, there's just so much more depth and so much more meaning to, to what they're doing and who they're racing for and, and who they're trying to inspire. And the fact that, you know, chemo Seymour with, with this vision coming into fruition really wanted to continue to push this whole thing forward that we've, that we've been pushing. He's totally bought in and, you know, it's, I love that. It's really awesome. Like for all of the people that want to hate on this, I don't care (laughs) because it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable to see it, um, to see it. And, you know, it's, it's good. Were you, did you have any surprises with the, obviously this first event is going to be more, uh, the mountain bikers are going to have an advantage <laughs> on that. Well, I mean, I think I got to talk to Pete the day before we, we, I did a little interview with him. And then of course he broke his wrist in the he first broke his wrist and finished and he and finished and he was ready. So, you know, I think that was exciting. I mean, Ted King's out there racing with his elbow still in, you know, gear, um, Oh my gosh. And I, if so, you know, honestly, like the reason I pick those people is because like, I don't know the men's field as well and shame on me for that. Um, the women's field, I, I always think, um, that, that field, the women's field is so stacked. Um, 
but I was, I literally, I kind of thought Rose Grant was going to have a bit better of a day than she had. And I haven't gotten to talk with Rose, but, um, but I also thought Leah Davison was going to be up there and she had a phenomenal day on the bike. Um, and Mo Wilson is, um, if anybody ever thought she was a dark horse, I don't know why, like she's, she's, she's going to throw down some stuff, (laughs) um, because she can handle the mountain bike and she can handle the gravel. So, um, but I think we're going to see that with a lot of these. I got to Rach. Um, they didn't race. Uh, Rach has been having some some issues and is racing yeah. Ironman, the world championship. And right. And they, right, they and were there to support, which was really cool. Like yeah. they came to the card signing and, and they're doing a good job of like really pushing kind of the awareness around non-binary. And I, I love that, but um, you know, I think if, if Rach skipped a race, this was, that was probably the one <laughs> to skip just because it is a little bit more technical, but um the others aren't quite as technical as that one, but I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to watch it all unfold and, and have, have more of USA cycling fandom grow and understand the women's field, which is yeah. awesome. So, yeah, I agree. Well, but, it was fun watching, uh, some of the high, I was, my gym actually did a strength training meet that I was the, um, the plate mover. So I put the plates on and off the weights. Nice job. It's a very stressful job actually, because that you have to like, do math correctly. Yeah. That's pressure. In, ki- in kilograms. Oh, God. I'm out. <laughs> Fortunately, um, it was the Olympic lifts. So they're like the, um, the clean and the, the uh, snatch. So they're the weights don't go as heavy as they can with like a squat or deadlift or anything. So it wasn't that much calculation, but, but I was like every time in between events, I would be sneaking in and looking at who was coming across the finish line, who was winning. So that was fun to watch. Yay. I'll be excited to see it go down and bound. Me too. Did you, did you watch the flow broadcast? I didn't. I I know that's a paid subscription, but it's probably worth it. I think live feisty should get one. You guys. Yeah. Live feisty. We should get a subscription. Yeah. I mean that. that coverage, they took what they learned at unbound and owned it. It was so good, you know, and it's always, it's always tricky because you get that separation and covering the men and the women can be difficult, but, but really watching, you know, I think that's what you've, everybody on this podcast has heard me say, if you ask about the men, you better ask about the women and, and those lessons are being heard, you know, it's, well, of course, like that, where it's laps is a little bit, it's a little bit easier too, because you're not like, strung out over 70 miles between the men and the women. Yeah. For stuff. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, we had the most fun bikes ever on the podcast today. We do squid. We've got squid bike co-owner, Emily Kachorik joins us. Yeah. And it is really fun to find out how she went from professional racing to owning a bike company, Mm -hmm. but she's, she's talking about this, um, hand painting the spike of the shape of like those iced graham animal crackers, crackers, animal yeah. crackers. And I was like, if we talked about we, the detail in that, and I was like, oh we should, gosh, we should I grab quit. like when we do her, when we do the graphic for her podcast, we should add some bikes, like do a slideshow. So yeah. you can flip through and see a couple of the cool bikes that, yeah. that they've done. Cause they've got, 
very, very talented folks in that group. Yeah. 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 Their Instagram was really fun. It made me want one of their bikes. Yeah, I know. So, so promise that she'll help me paint my old one that's down there in Patagonia. So nice. Yeah. We'll see. Well, awesome. Everybody's going to enjoy this conversation with Emily and we'll stop chatting and get on with the show. No matter what adventure you're dreaming of, you understand what it means to push harder, reach further, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. I found the record button the first time today. You nailed it. You like, you know, we take a little bit of time off and you come out swinging. I know. It's it's like I could remember everything after. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm over here exhausted and brain dead. (laughs) Well, you just came back from sea otter. I did. And when I was at sea otter, I got to see one of my best friends, Emily Kachork, who's joining us today. Yay, Emily. (laughs) You're an industry person, right, Emily? So I figured you had to have been a sea otter with everybody else except for me. I was at sea otter this year, which was, uh, I don't, I lost track of how many sea otters I've been to probably eight or nine and always a little bit have mixed feelings just because it's kind of overwhelming. And this year was, I was super excited from the get-go to go and in and out day and a half at the show or really half day at the show on Friday and then a half day at the show on Saturday. So it was perfect. Just got to wander around and see people had very little responsibilities. So it was fantastic. I had a really, really nice time. That sounds like the way to do it instead of like having to work a booth the whole time. Yeah. I have luckily avoided working a booth the whole time. And I normally would be racing and, or have other sorts of responsibilities uh, one fun photo shoot for bell, um, on Friday. And that was it for me. So it was great. Awesome. Well, our audience wants to know who you are. Tell us yeah. about you, how you got into cycling, what you do. Give us just, give us just a little question life. there, huh? <laughs> Started <laughs> off with a bang. Started off. Um, <laughs> one time name? somebody was like, when I was two, like Christina, yeah, exactly. like, oh, we should have maybe qualified this question more. <laughs> I won't go there. I won't go there. Um, my name's Emily Kachorik. As you said, I currently live in Sacramento. Um, I am one of the co-owners of Squid Bikes, which is a, I guess we kind of classify ourselves as a boutique bike brand. Um, we started with just handmade or us made aluminum cyclocross bikes and have expanded since we launched the brand in 2014. Uh, we currently have six different models and have manufacturing in Sacramento as well as in Taiwan. Um, I run the company with my business partner, Chris, who's awesome. And I love riding all the bikes. Um, all the time, pretty much every day. I was a bike racer for a, 
long number of years and retired from doing that seriously or really actually at all. I don't know that I've really pinned a number since I quit racing in the end of 2018. Um, and just ride bikes for fun now, spending more and more time on my feet, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and yeah, enjoy riding all of the bikes. And that's definitely something that will be a large part of who I am probably for the rest of my life. What, um, what inspired you guys to start squid? Where did that inspiration come from? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, squid bikes really was kind of born out of my privateer cyclocross program that started 2012, 2013. I had, uh, done about three years of professional road racing with various teams, um, raced in Europe and kind of decided since I was doing it a little bit later in life that, uh, if I wanted to continue to progress on the road, I needed to spend more time racing in Europe and just didn't really want to do that. Um, so I decided to kind of like jump into cyclocross pretty blindly without really having done it much, but knowing that it would allow me to continue to ride my bike every day and train, uh, it would, you know, provide me a platform to learning new skills that I didn't get when I was road racing, like, you know, learning how to ride in the dirt, even though I had mountain biked a lot for fun, it would be different to learn how to race a cyclocross bike, um, visit different cities, um, you know, get kind of used to doing the same road races year after year and wanted to mix that up and also go from a team sport to more of an individual sport. So I jumped in kind of with both feet to UCI program in 2013, but you know, there's not a ton of support from the team aspect within cyclocross. It's a pretty niche sport to begin with. And I was lucky enough to have a bunch of industry partners from road racing. So I put my own little privateer program together and in doing so, you know, I had my bike sponsor and the bikes were supposed to be custom painted to match my, my kit. And I was all neoned up and, uh, had the idea that I really wanted people to be able to see me from across the course, especially cause I was new to the scene. And, um, back then it was a lot of like red and blue and pretty traditional colors. The neons were, were on the out at that point in time. And the bike came back, this like school bus yellow color. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> this doesn't really work with what I'm going for. <laughs> and so I went to the hobby store and I kind of, you know, I don't have a ton of like, I guess, formal artistic training, but always have enjoyed doing that kind of stuff. Went to the hobby store and got big sheets of vinyl that you use for, you know, plastic cars and model cars and planes and stuff like that. And I went with like a save by the bell type of neon vomit theme all over the bike with, you know, checkerboard squares and shapes and all kinds of stuff. And I essentially plastered this bike so you couldn't tell that it was school bus yellow um, and made it kind of fit the rest of the vibe I had going on. And getting back to essentially the question you asked Christy over the course of that year, I was like, when I first did it, I was like, Oh my gosh, am I going to be nervous about taking this bike to the start line? Cause it was like so different than what every other bike looked like, <laughs> <laughs> like so different. And it was like me, like feeling like a little kid, like putting stickers on my bike and lining up next to Katie Compton. And ultimately I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like whatever. And it turns out that I couldn't walk anywhere with that bike without it turning all of these heads and people being like, what is that? And certainly not the first time to have a bike that was painted, you know, and looked very different than, than other bikes that it was, you know, custom painted. Um, but it kind of slapped us, 
meaning me and my partners over the head in terms of being like, wow, like there aren't really other bikes that look like this out there. There's maybe Mm -hmm. this kind of niche in the industry for things that look really different. And, um, I grew up in San Diego, both my brothers are big surfers. I grew up kind of surfing and skateboarding and, you know, Southern California baby. And that really, I guess, was the seed of our inspiration for what was really what kind of, kind of was what began us thinking about this. And it was like, why don't we make bikes that like look very different than other people's bikes at an affordable price? Um, so you don't have to go to a custom painter and drop two grand on a crazy looking bike. Right. And we took that idea and rolled it into some other stuff that, um, had learned through, through road racing and just kind of working in the industry for a while. One of the guys that originally started the company with us, um, owned a bike shop in Sacramento for a long time. So he'd been familiar with the industry. One of the things that was kind of cool when we started was that the four of us spanned a number of generations, kind of the twenties, thirties, and forties. Um, so collectively had a bunch of different kind of bike experience over time and took that, uh, in addition to seeing how the action sports industry was working with athletes and kind of running their own brands. Um, the movie, the movie bones brigade was actually a pretty big inspiration for us. Um, and that was like about skateboarding and the birth of skateboarding and Paula Peralta and essentially was like, well, I'm trying to run my own program. I got to get money from somewhere to do this. And at this point, you know, I had been designing my own kits to race in and I was working with Belay at the time and I was getting kickbacks from whenever my kits would sell publicly. And that was helping to fund my program. So all of this kind of accumulated, there's four of us that, you know, these thoughts are bouncing around in our head. And it was like, well, why don't we start a company? And if the whole point of being a professional athlete is that you're marketing something and someone's making money off of the marketing you're doing, why don't I capture that benefit Mm -hmm. and use it to my own advantage to run my team and do what I want rather than giving that back to say X other bike brand. And so that was kind of really how it started was it was like, all right, I could use something like this to essentially run my own team and do things however I want. And also maybe bikes, because it seems like most of the bikes are kind of ugly. And we have this idea that maybe they should look a little bit more like the bottoms of skateboards and the bottoms of surfboards. And maybe there's a niche for something like that. So, uh, in a long winded winded answer, that is kind of our thought process in, in starting squid. I think it's, I think it's super cool. I mean, obviously it's so different, but then taking that, that concept of blending and, you know, industry that you saw here and making it fit into what your passion was at the time, which, you know, being bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was one of those things that when we started it, it was like, you know, the, the traditional joke that you guys may or may have not heard, like, how do you make a small fortune in the bike industry? you start with a large fortune, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we like went into it, not thinking that it was really necessarily going to be like a business. It was something that we were hoping was going to provide enough, uh, support to get me and Chris, my business partner who started as my mechanic. Um, and you know, maybe one other racer to some races. Um, and we started hoping, you know, we were going to basically like ping all our friends and we're like, Hey, like, would you buy a bike from us if we like made them? And, you know, a bunch of our friends are like, yeah, that's sure. That's rad. Like we'll support you. And 
every year it kind of was like, wait, so it's a little bit bigger than it was last year. It's bigger than it was the year before that and turned more and more from something that was um, basically meant to be this like small seed business that was funding a pro bike racing team to like a bigger business that was funding a pro bike racing team to a, you know, a, a brand that was associated with a bike racing team. And now it's like, you know, essentially over the course of the, what, eight or nine years at this point, eight years, seven years, something like that has really transitioned into like, you know, being an actual business. We actually have an employee and, um, you know, in 2020, right. We didn't even have a team with, with COVID and all that kind of stuff. So the relationship with the pro bike racing team has changed over the course of those years. And it's transitioned more from, um, like I said, being something to provide seed money to bike racing, to a business that has a bike racing team or supports athletes. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking at the pictures. Everybody needs to go follow squid bikes on Instagram immediately because (laughs) the pictures, like the bikes are so rad. They're just so fun. Thanks. And that, you know, that's like, was one of the big things that we wanted with the, that the brand, we wanted the brand to really like show off and highlight was that it was like, and this was very wrapped up in how we came up with the name too, is that we wanted it to be something that was kind of like the opposite of like specialized and intense and focus, like, which are all obviously bike names. We wanted it to be something that was much more playful and lighthearted. And we wanted the ethos of the company to, to reflect that, but it was, you know, ultimately we're mostly all adults using these, their toys. We're playing with toys every day and it's cool and we love it, but that's, I mean, that's what it is. And keeping that kind of in perspective, even when racing at a really high level was that, you know, ultimately sure you can be doing it for fun and, or to support yourself. And that's important, but ultimately it's, it should be fun. And it should be something that we all, we all love doing. Or at least so it, how, it is for us. So we how, hope that other people like connect with that too. How does the process work? Are you guys doing the artwork on the bikes? Are you getting, how, how do you do the process? With squid? Yeah, good, good question. So I'll take one step back. All the squid bikes are squid frames. So it was really important when we started, even though we were tiny and we just started with a little bit of seed money, um, that the bike frames were our geometry. We, we wanted to be a bike company. We just didn't want to be someone that was painting cool bikes. So uh, my business partner, Chris, does all the, the geometry and all the, the frame design. So all of that is ours. Um, and we very early on, one of our business partners, Marty, was like, why don't we just let people spray paint bikes? And I don't remember the exact details of how that came about. But essentially, before we had even started the company, all of us had independently all spray painted bikes, as many people have, right? It's not a new thing. Like, get a can of spray paint from your hardware store or from the art store and make your bike look different than it does. And um, he'd done a lot of painting and he was like, why don't we just like give people the raw bike and let people do it themselves. And I remember personally being like, well, that's a shitty idea. (laughs) And then like (laughs) other business partners were like, I don't know, like, just think about it a little bit more. And so sat with it for a little bit. And then it was like, actually, that's like pretty punk rock and pretty cool. And at the very least different than what anyone else is doing. Right. And uh, as I mentioned, we just started with our squid cross, which was a aluminum frame that was made 15 miles away in Sacramento. We were super lucky to get to work with one of the best, um, aluminum builders in the U S everything's done in-house, which is really cool. We can like ride our bikes over to the factory and talk to the engineer there and see what, you know, where the process is when they're in manufacturing. And, um, a nice thing about aluminum, right. Is that it doesn't, it doesn't corrode the way steel does. Um, 
And so obviously spray paint is not going to be as durable as a powder coating or as even like a, uh, at least an overseas wet paint, um, where they use chemicals that we don't usually use in the U S. Um, and you know, kind of the more we thought about it, we're like, Hey, we can, we can, let's spray paint, let's spray paint our own bikes. Right. Let's just see how this is. So we ended up doing that and getting good results. And like, people seem to connect with that. And then when we launched the company, um, we launched it with, the platform that we were only selling raw bikes. So we had our squid cross. That was the only model we had and we sold them completely raw. You can leave the bike completely raw because it's not going to, you know, degrade. You can, doesn't need to be sealed. It's perfectly good as is. Um, or you could, you know, we had our kind of basic instructions online and we'll give you like the basic how to, to spray paint the bike yourself and came up with the hashtag DIYFS, do it your fucking self. Like, and people would always be like, oh, will you paint our bikes? And we're like, no, like DIY fest, do it yourself. And it kind of was this essentially, I mean, for sure, looking back a punk rock way of, you know, just being like, no, it's your bike. Like you should like the way that it looks, paint it, paint it yourself. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be anything other than uh, it reinforced the fact that it was really like an object to play on. Right. It's a tool. It's not meant to hang on the wall. It's meant to use. And just like the bottom of a skateboard, if you skate around with a skateboard, that's like perfect underneath, everyone's going to think you're a joke, right? Cause you don't ride your skateboard that much, but if your skateboard's like all dinged up on the bottom and it shows that you're out there using it. And, um, you know, we kind of thought the, that, that bikes essentially could have that same thing. Like them getting beat up was a patina. It showed that you rode your bike every day and you rode it hard and you're going to crash it sometimes. And you're going to throw it against a tree when you sit at the river and drink a beer. Um, and so, so that's how we were probably for the first couple of years. And we ended up painting a lot of bikes for ourselves. Again, at this point, we had a pro team that consisted of myself and Anthony Clark, and we would paint two bikes for each of us every year, um, paint bikes with our friends. Um, and so kind of all of these paint jobs were coming out and people would be like, that's really cool, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Or I don't have any ideas. Like, can you help me? And we were like, no, no, no. Like do it yourself, do it yourself, do it yourself. <laughs> Eventually. I don't even remember what year we launched it. Um, Chris and I, um, who were basically the ones working full-time had painted enough bikes that we felt comfortable being able to like wrap our heads around how we would do a custom or semi-custom program to allow to paint bikes essentially for customers. Um, so we had done enough that we felt like we could have a product that we knew, we knew what the customer can expect. We knew how long it was going to take us. Um, you know, we knew what the durability was going to be like those kinds of things. So we were able to come up with what we call our spray to order program, um, which isn't something that you can come to us and say, Hey, like I want my bike to have a picture of my dog on it and I wanted to say this and blah, blah, blah. And that was one of the things that initially we had to figure out how to steer away from because we're not a complete custom paint company. And it was like, that stuff takes, sure. We, we could physically do that. Like we have the capability of, and, and skills at this point to be able to do that kind of work, but it's just not realistic for us to do that. Um, so we ended up coming up with, like I said, our spray to order program, which we've modeled off of like a deli sandwich form where, you know, you check your, like what kind of bread you want you check the kind of cheese you want and meat and toppings and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so essentially now it's like you, you, you buy your bike, your frame, we sell mostly frame sets and you check the size that you want and you check, 
um, essentially we have like, I think it's about between 10 and 12, I'm not really sure, different methods of painting. So on there, we have like a fade and a splatter, uh, what we call our drip. We have a freestyle, we have a don't give a fuck option. We have um, solid, um, we have essentially all the methods we use to to paint, Um, bathroom style, smear style. And then we started working with a company called Spray Bike, which is a bicycle specific spray paint. Um, It's manufactured in Greece. And uh, they have about 80 different colors. So we have all the colors listed. You pick your colors. And then at the bottom, it has like an area for notes. Um, It has an area to, you know, choose what color logos you want and an area for notes. So you say you check, like, I want a fade and a splatter. And I want on the note on the bottom, you could be like, I want the fade to go from top to bottom with this color at the bottom. And I want more of this color to be splattered on there. And you check all your colors. And then we take old spray paint cans that are empty and we paint the paint, the spray paint can, how you're essentially your sandwich order form, your spray to order form, uh, you know, tells us to. So the customer is really dictating the paint job. Um, we'll paint it. And then we send a picture to them as, as like, Hey, this is basically what your bike's going to look like. Obviously you can't illustrate what an entire frame is going to look like on one, you know, six, six inch high can, but it's a, it's a general idea of what the bike's going to look like. We get people usually a couple of revisions like, Hey, actually, can I see a white logo as opposed to a silver logo or whatever it is? Um, and then they'll send us back an email. It's like, Hey, that looks great. And then we get to work painting their bike and, um, depending on how many staff we have at the shop at any, you know, during the time of painting, a lot of times you can tune into Instagram on, um, on story and like watch your bike getting painted, which is fun for people. And you get to pick your, your top coat, whether or not you want a matte top coat or a gloss or a sparkly Kieran, Kieran top coat and take pictures of it and drop it in the mail for you. Did you all have issues with the supply chain during the pandemic or because you were more frames? Was it a little less for y'all? Um, I mean, yeah, we did just like everybody else. It's hard to really stay away from that. Um, we do do more frames than complete builds. And that has been nice for us. The the complete builds. I mean, we're still waiting on parts just like everyone else. It's like, cool. We have lots of, lots of cassettes and and derailleurs and no shifters. That doesn't really help us. Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but you know, I think maybe it's a little harder being a smaller brand compared to the, to the big brands that have maybe gotten stuff. I don't really know. Um, we were lucky enough to, uh, just our position in line with our Taiwanese manufacturing, which is where our our steel bikes come from. Uh, we were in a position where we were able to get a restock at a good time. And it was a time when our domestic manufacturing was a little bit on hiatus. Um, and since then it's kind of swapped where our domestic manufacturing is rolling again. And we're like at the back of the slow line in Taiwan. Um, so it was, it, it worked out well that we ended up having multiple manufacturers during, during that time period. Um, so it certainly did the supply chain has been a problem for us, just like for everyone else, but I think we've weathered it. Okay. Um, you know, shipping costs have obviously gone up a ton and that's something that, uh, will is, and will be affecting us with, um, we're the U S distributor of spray bike, the, the bicycle specific spray paint. So we sell that if you, if you want to paint your own bike, that's still an option. Uh, we don't necessarily have to paint the bike for you. You're still welcome to do it yourself. Um, and then we give you a discount on spray bike and then we sell spray bike, you know, just to anyone that, that wants to paint 
any bike they have at home too. Um, and because that product comes from Greece and is an aerosol, um, the shipping is we've kind of taken a ding on, on shipping that has increased dramatically with the, the results of the pandemic. That do you find that that's, uh, that spray bike paint is better than just going to the home Depot? Yeah, definitely is it, um, you know, spray paint is always going to be spray paint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it is definitely a little bit more durable than say Rust-Oleum, for example, certainly not going to have the durability that a powder coat does. It's right. just a different way of, you know, applying color to, to metal. Um, the biggest thing with spray bike is that it's easier to use. It's a lot more user-friendly. And that was the the big thing with the, um, the owner of the company, he initially was really thinking of it more for upcycling purposes. So in Europe, you know, specifically where he's from, uh, you know, a lot of people ride their townies all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's much more of a, a daily, um, a daily part of people's lives that aren't doing it for recreation. And so he was just kind of like, Oh, you know, there's more bikes kind of moving around and, and old bikes and that you could give your bike a, a fresh, fresh look essentially. So I think the fact that it's, um, it, it's turned into more of a customization thing and, and on like a very, like, I don't know, I guess cooler level than just, Hey, your, your son's bike. Now your daughter wants it and she doesn't want it to be whatever have, you know, be green. She wants a, whatever purple bike or something like yeah. that. That's still certainly, I think what a lot of customers use it for. Um, but not exclusively, I think it's opened up, um, you know, it's opened up a lot of creativity that I think maybe wasn't even necessarily in the bike industry as much. I'd like to think we had something to do with that um, oh, for sure. in the U S like just, you know, putting out a bunch of bikes that looked really different. Uh, I do think we've, we've pushed the industry that direction. I love watching your little videos when you, the one, my favorites are when you do the, the Dawn soap one. <laughs> Yeah. The drip, our drip method. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool and fun. And yeah, there's after years and years and years of thinking about like, how do we pay the bike? You know, it's a, it's a interesting canvas to work with because it's really not very large. No. Um, And obviously it's curved. (laughs) That's what intimidates me is like, I can't do this. Like I'm not, I'm not an artist, nor do I play one on TV. (laughs) And like, I, I really, I think so flat. Yeah. You know, like the, the movement of it is what all like. Yeah. It it is is difficult to take something I think on that plane and, and work with it, but you know, over time you kind of get used to it. And again, it's really not that much surface area. So you have an idea of something that looks really cool. And then you're like, wait, how am I going to put that on a bike? And even stuff like drawing on, on it, which is Mm -hmm. one of our, our methods we have is bathroom style. So essentially it kind of looks like the inside of a bathroom that's all tagged up. Oh yeah. Um, we'll do, we do that with stencils and with paint pens and some other writing materials, graffiti style stuff. Um, but it's hard. And I, I did a, a bike for NABS one year, which is the North American handmade mm-hmm. bike show. And it had, uh, animal crackers all over it. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't even know how I came up with the idea at this point in time, but it had animal, you know, like the pink and pink and white ones that mm-hmm. have the little like mm-hmm. baby ball candies all over them. And I stenciled, I did a base coat and then I stenciled the little animals all over 
And then I took paint pens and literally meticulously put dots on every single little cookie that took me so many hours. And I, the whole bike, I did the rims, I did the bars, I did like everything. And part of what took a long time was that you have to be careful because if you're not paying attention, I'll just like slide because it's a, a curved object. And then you no longer get a dot. It's like this like dot with a, you know, crappy looking line coming off the back of it. Um, but yeah, just like anything you do it enough, right. And you get used to used to the limitations and what you can do. And I feel like our spray to order program, uh, is pretty rounded out at this point. And I think we'll probably continue to come up with more ideas. Um, but, and there's ways to like mix colors and all that kind of stuff that continues customers continue to surprise us with being like, Hey, let's either with color combinations or with overlapping styles too, which is kind of cool too. Nice. Yeah. I love them. I think they're so fun. I'm curious, uh, and maybe this wasn't as much of an experience, but we've talked to other, uh, women that are in the, in the industry and they've had varied experiences uh, and you being on the bike build side, like what's your experience been as a woman in the industry? Um, you know, it's always hard. That's a hard question for me. Um, obviously we're outnumbered by men. Um, I genuinely feel like I've always been treated pretty well. And I think, you know, more recently people are becoming, I would like to think more aware of ways in which not only our industry, but our society is, has not, is not equal for everybody. Um, and I think in some ways it's been, it's been, I don't want to say it's been easier, but I think in some ways people will want to talk to me more, for example, because I'm a female owner of a, of a bicycle company, as opposed to like, Oh, let's interview the woman as opposed to the, the other dude that just started a bike company. Um, I think genuinely people uh, just stereotypically don't think that I probably have as much technical expertise. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally I think it's, it's been cool and I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. And it's cool to like talk to other female frame builders. Cause again, I, I'm not doing the building um, and I'm happy to see more and more uh, female builders out there as well. What's your, um, I mean, obviously we talked about your career as a pro and then how that's led you into, into squid. What's next? Like, yeah, the million dollar questions, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so we started, so I bike raced full time for, I guess about eight years. I did three years on the road, um, and then five years racing cyclocross, um, doing UCI stuff. Um, I raced internationally quite a bit, which is really fun. Um, again, my last year was 2018. And since then I've, I've kind of just been running the company and, you know, staying in the industry, doing things, I'll go to events, but I don't, I don't race or really take it very seriously in terms of trying to, to go fast. I feel like I got most of that out of my system. Um, I've been doing some work with the cyclist menu, um, guiding in, in Arizona, as well as in, um, in Mallorca and in other parts of California up in Montana this year. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. I've always, I've always enjoyed sharing the experience of riding bikes with other people, uh, in particular people who are new to the, to the new to riding bikes, I think is really 
fun. Um, I, I do also have a mountain bike certification, um, and also enjoy, you know, teaching, teaching people how to mountain bike. I don't, I don't do that very much. Um, but I've done that a little bit and through the course of my, my bike racing career, you know, I would work with some of my partners to help lead rides, you know, Strammer in particular, again, at Sea Otter, as an example, always, always out guiding rides. And I ran the SRAM gold rush tour for Rebecca mm. rush for a year, um, which was specifically getting like helping get women on mountain bikes and empowering them with, you know, knowledge about, uh, you know, riding itself, like technique, as well as the mechanical side of things. Um, so I've always really enjoyed that and have been doing a lot more of that and looking at doing some, some private guiding, opening that up a little bit, which would be nice just to give people a little bit more personal experience. I love talking to people about, you know, where they're from and what they do for riding and sharing the experiences that I have just in terms of, I don't necessarily want to say entertainment, but, you know, sharing how I've incorporated the bike into my life and what it's brought to me, but also the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years of riding and racing in a way that makes them have a better experience in the future. Awesome. So yeah, I think doing more of that and, uh, yeah, see where, see where life takes me here. Like I said, I've been spending, um, actually more, more of my free time on my feet, um, hiking and backpacking. I've always really enjoyed that. And since I'm not racing and don't have to do the training anymore, um, it's, it's opened up time for me to do that where I'm not like, Oh man, I feel like I'm missing out on my training or I, you know, should be doing something else instead. Uh, yeah. So enjoying doing that. Yeah. I bet when you guide, you have the best bike too, or like the bike that everybody <laughs> recognizes. It, it definitely is. Uh, it stands out in the crowd for sure, which is our bikes do that. <laughs> We actually had a big conversation when we first launched the company about uh, whether or not we wanted any logos on the bikes. Um, It was one of those things, especially at the time period when we launched, where logos were the thing. And, you know, most of the big bike companies, especially had 50 million logos on every single tube on the bike. And we were like, really, really? Like, you can't think of any other way to do this other than everyone putting giant logos all over the place. Um, And so, yeah, when we sell our bikes, it's still one of those things. Like, do you want a logo on it or do you not want a logo on it? It doesn't, doesn't matter to us. We were, we were hoping that the style of the bikes would become iconic enough that you would know it was a squid without having to be told it was a squid. I know when it's a squid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've done a reasonable job of that. And we have, you know, we have moved more towards traditional logos, um, over time, but, uh, yeah. If you don't want a logo on your bike, don't put a logo on your bike. It's your, it's your bike. <laughs> well, I'm pretty confident to say if you want the most fun bike and cycling, go check out squid bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We think so. And, um, and then if people want to find out about you and where you guide and all that stuff, like where can they find you? Um, I haven't been as active on Instagram of late, but that's still probably the best, best place to find me personally. Um, E.E. Kachorik. Um, that's my first, first initial and middle initial and then last name. Um, Squid Bikes also, our Instagram account's really active. Um, like you pointed out, I think it's really fun. Always have a lot of colorful, colorful images out there. And, uh, you know, my friends and owners of the company riding our bikes after work and, you know, 
just going on, going on kind of weekend excursions and whatnot. Um, yeah. So I would say Instagram is your best bet. And there is a gravel specific frame that you all have. Yeah. Yeah. So we, our squid cross is our aluminum, uh, cyclocross bike. It was designed for cyclocross racing. It's been raced at multiple world championships. Um, I, I don't like calling being saying things definitively, but I, I believe it was the only metal bike at one of the world championships that we had athletes at, which was pretty cool, at least in the elite field. Um, or the, yeah, the, yeah, I think it's called the elite field, not the U23s or the juniors. Um, and yeah, your the, gravel bike has done, has gotten recognized too. Yes. in our, it is the last most recent bike we've come out with. It's called our Gravtron. Um, it's made in Taiwan with steel. Um, and it's really, it, as opposed to the squid cross again, that's designed to go around corners fast and, you know, be a cyclocross race bike. And certainly you can use that bike for gravel, right? Um, the Gravtron is, says a little bit longer wheelbase. Um, it's obviously made out of steel as opposed to aluminum. It has all the riveting for bags. So it's really, we kind of have it as like a bike packing slash gravel bike, uh, a little more relaxed geometry. It's going to be, you know, be a little bit more steady on downhills as opposed to, you know, really being designed to go around corners fast. Um, and it was just recognized by bicycling as one of the 2022 most exciting bikes, which is pretty cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It sounds very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Cool. Well, I highly recommend everybody going over to check out a dream of what your bike could look like. It's got squid bikes. I'd be like, I've been kind of thinking about a new bike and now I'm like, I don't want another boring bike. Exactly. We used that hashtag for a while, actually. No hashtag, no boring bikes. I saw that on your Instagram. I love that. So, well, thank you so much for your time today, Emily. It's really fun to hear the backstory of how you got into this and how you've developed this company. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was fun talking to you guys. You have been listening to the girls gone gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.